So this morning we're going to look at, uh, a couple of weeks ago we looked at the end of Mark chapter 7, this, the second half. Uh, I decided let's circle back and look at the first half because I thought it was interesting. I find it interesting. So we're going to do that uh, this morning. Mark 7, 1 through 23. Um, I think you'll find it on the screen behind me and the screen in front of you. I don't know. Just, um, or if you got it with you, you can follow along I like that. Uh, Mark 7, 1 through 23. Uh, Once again, before we read, let's pray. God, thank you for for this book. Uh, We're grateful that we have it. And we're grateful that uh, when we read it, it reveals your heart to us. Reveals to us by your spirit who you are and who you want us to be and who we're called to be. And somehow in the hearing, uh, once again, we're changed and transformed. Um, so we pray for that this morning. Open our hearts and our minds. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark 7, starting at verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, unclean. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? What's up with that? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, designated as a gift to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowds to him and said, listen to me, everyone, understand all this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciple asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Not a complete list. He's just sort of riffing here. Not the most important or worst things. He's just sort of listing some things. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. We will go that far. So, once again, we find ourselves right in the middle of Mark's little mini-biography of Jesus. This, this story uh, he calls good news. In the beginning, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how he begins the whole thing. Like the good news. What's so good about this news? What's, what's so good about it? And then, and then Mark like, tells this story about Jesus at a frantic pace. He keeps saying, immediately Jesus does this, and immediately he goes over here, and immediately he goes over here, and then immediately this happens, and immediately that happens. He wastes no time getting to all the good stuff in Jesus' life. It's like all kinds of good fruit coming out of Jesus' life. All kinds of really amazing things are happening. He's constantly telling us that the people are amazed Amazed? What are they amazed at? Well, up to this point in the story, Jesus has done all sorts of really cool things. He's healed a bunch of people, people with unclean spirits, people with leprosy. He healed a a paralytic. His friends ripped open a roof and dropped him down inside, and Jesus gave him his life back, made him whole. Healed a woman who's been bleeding for 12 long years, gave her her life back. He did all sorts of things. He associated with the people that all good Jews tried to avoid. All these people he healed, he touched, he put their lives back together. He wasn't supposed to associate with them, and yet there he was. He did it. It was amazing, and people were amazed. He did other sorts of things too. He calmed a storm, multiplied five loaves of bread, two fish to feed like 15,000 people, and he's walked on water. Yeah, this seems like good news to me. A dude can walk on water. I want more of that. And now we come to the point in the story where he begins rubbing shoulders with part of the religious establishment, part of the the people who know what it means to worship God and be a person of God and to, to, to live in that world, to live that kind of life. So here's how the whole thing went down. So at this point in the story, clearly he's gaining a reputation popularity. There are crowds, large crowds of people, thousands of people following him wherever he went in and around Galilee, just sort of doing his thing. So that's up north in Galilee where he's working, right? Well, word about this new healer and teacher named Jesus sort of spreads really quickly, and eventually it makes its way down south to Jerusalem, the spiritual center of the people of God. And part of the religious establishment, the people who know what they're doing, who know what they're talking about, the Pharisees, well, they catch wind of this Jesus and they're like, they become curious. They're interested. Well, what's going on? Who is this guy? What's going on with that guy? So they're hearing all these rumors about all this really cool stuff happening up north with this guy named Jesus. They, they send a delegation of Pharisees and teachers of the law up north to Galilee in order to investigate they get up there and they stand at a distance and they're sort, of, uh, they're sort of watching what's going on with suspicious eyes. And then Mark tells us that they, they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, they were, they were unwashed. Right? Now, what are we talking about here? 
We're not talking about just hands that are dirty and grubby because you've been working in the dirt in the garden. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about, we're not talking about the kids coming in because it's time to eat dinner and you tell them to wash your hands. No, we're talking about this is a religious thing. This is a, a ceremonial thing. This is a ceremonial washing of the hands. Right? And they even had a very particular way in which you were supposed to wash your hands. Like you, had to, you could only go up a certain amount on your hands, up on your arm. You couldn't go up too far. That's too far. You only had a certain point which you had to stop. You had to cup your hands in a certain way so that you didn't waste any water as you washed your hands. So that's what we're talking about here. Right? They notice that Jesus' disciples aren't performing the ritual, the ceremonially washing of the hands. They just get there. They just get there. And they already find something to judge. They just got there. And they have already found something to sort of pick at. Right? You can almost hear their thoughts. This is such a simple thing. You can almost hear the confusion too in their brains. Because they've been hearing all of these wonderful things that Jesus is doing. All this fruit coming out of this guy's life. And this is such a simple thing. It's so easy. Right? Why don't they wash, their, wash your hands, man? This Jesus doesn't even understand that he has to have his followers do the thing you need to do. Wash your hands. It's so simple. What's up with that? He must be a fraud. He must not really know what's going on here. So they say, Jesus, what's up? Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Why don't they do that instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Now let's think about the Pharisees. Who are they? Who were they? Generally speaking, we can say this. The Pharisees, really good people. Really good people. Often we make them the villains. Pharisees are really good people. They did all the right things. They believed all the right things. They said all the right things. They were really well-respected in their own community. In fact, we could go far, so far as to say that the Pharisees were the moral and spiritual background of their community. Right? They read their Bibles. They prayed. They tithed. They were really concerned that the people of God did the things that they were supposed to do. The most important things were to, to make sure you kept the Ten Commandments. In fact, they were so concerned that the people of God would keep the Ten Commandments. You know the ones. Don't make idols, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father or mother, honor the Sabbath day, and keep it holy. They were so concerned that people made sure that they would, that they would keep the most important commandments, the big ten, the Ten Commandments. So here's what they did. They built a, like this fence, what we call a fence around the Ten Commandments. So you got these commands... Those are the most important ones. And if you follow these, these commands out here, these rules and regulations, these, the tradition of the elders, if you follow these out here, then you know you're not going to break any of the Ten Commandments and you're in good shape. Seems like a good idea, right? And these rules consisted of all sorts of things, all 613 of them, if you can imagine keeping that straight. Right? So they, they consisted of rules like this. You can only take a certain number of steps on the Sabbath, and if you took one step over the amount of steps you're supposed to take, that was considered work. 
like an Apple Watch would have been really helpful back then. <laughs> Count your steps or a Fitbit or whatever. Like if you took one step too many, then that was considered work, right? So you don't do that. You couldn't light a lamp on the Sabbath because that was considered work, right? So you had to light the lamp the day before or on the Sabbath, you would just have to deal with the dark, right? All food had to be prepared the day before the Sabbath because preparing food was work. So they wanted to make sure we keep the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? So that's what this hand-washing thing was all about. This was a part of this fence built around the really important rules, right? And this is what religion had sort of become for the Pharisees, following the rules. They were entirely obsessed with what people did or did not do. They were entirely obsessed with with the outside, the external, with the way things looked. And let me tell you, the Pharisees, they looked really, really good. I've talked about this before, but I think it's worth bringing up again, probably again and again and again, over and over again, because we live in a world that's entirely obsessed with the external, with the outside, with the way things look, with the optics. Right? We're always, we always want things to look good, don't we? We do. We want things to look good. And I don't, think I'm going, I don't think I'm going too far when I say that this happens on every single level of human existence, right? From the big macro level of nations and states to the micro level to you and I, uh, you and me, individuals. We want things to look good. Right? On the macro level, we have on the world stage, we have nations and states trying to look good, trying to, be, trying to be the best, look the most powerful so that they can gain more power and prestige. I mean, right now we got Russia thumping its chest, right? And we got, we got us thinking about how do we respond to Russia thumping its chest so that we look good, so that we look powerful, so we don't mess anything up, so the world respects us and trusts us. Like we want things to look good. Somewhere in the middle, we've got businesses trying to get our, trying to get our business, right? You got, you got, look at all the wireless companies, just look at all those commercials and how they all say the same thing about themselves. It's fascinating. Or the internet service providers. Or which truck are you going to buy? Are you going to buy a Ford, a Toyota, a Honda, or a Chevy, or a Dodge, or whatever? And they're all the number one rated. How is that possible? The number one truck in the company, rated by whatever. It's like, how is that po- How are you all number one? So we got that sort of in the middle, and then we got you and me and every other individual on the planet. We are concerned about the outside, about, about the way things look. Let's be honest about it. Most of us care a great deal about, about the external, about how we look, about how other people see us, right? We live in a world that's completely obsessed with the exterior, with the outside, with the way things look, with doing the right things. Why don't your disciples wash their hands? What's happening here? And Jesus responds, Isaiah was right about you hypocrites. Like He goes right to it. He doesn't even waste time. He's like, you're being hypocritical. I'll just say it. He was right about you hypocrites. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are so far away from me. They worship in vain. Their teachings are merely rules made by human beings. In other words, you can do all the right things, 
believe all the right things, it can look really good, and you can still be a train wreck on the inside. A little later on, addressing rules around food and stuff, he says this, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can make them unclean? Don't you see that? For it doesn't go into the heart. It goes into the stomach and then out of the body. What comes out of the person is what makes them unclean. For from within, out of our hearts, come all sorts of dirty, messy things. Right? And again, this isn't a complete list. This isn't a most important, you know, messy things list. He's just riffing. He's like, these kinds of things. So you see what Jesus is doing here, right? He's redefining righteousness for the people, for you and me. He's redefining holiness. You see, we often do this too. But the people, people thought that being righteous, being a good person, was all about the things that we did. And Jesus says, no. Now, it isn't about what we do. It's about who we are. It's an inside thing. It's, a, it's an, not an action thing. It's a heart thing. You get the heart thing right, and the actions will follow. You get the inside right, and the outside will follow. You know, if we stop and think about it for more than 30 seconds, we come to the realization it's pretty obvious that there's a whole lot more going on inside a person than there is on the outside. And what we see when we look at people is just itty-bitty compared to what's happening on the inside, on what's in there but not seen. I mean, on the inside, we got hearts and intestines and veins and arteries and liver, lungs, brain, nerves, germs, bacteria. That's just the physical stuff. There's also all the other stuff that can't be weighed. It can't be measured, but it's in there. Thoughts and knowledge, feelings and moods, dreams and visions, prayers and songs and faith and hope and love, among all sorts of other things. There's far more inside us than there is on the outside. And we spend most of our time fixated on the exterior, on the way things look, obsessed about how other people see us. It's much, more, it's much easier to distract ourselves with what's going on on the outside than it is dealing with the way things really are on the inside. It's a whole lot easier to look good whole lot easier to look good than to actually be good. It's a whole lot easier to pay attention to the exterior, what's on the outside, than to pay attention to what's going on in here. So we can have a, a moral, religious exterior that looks really good. And we can pay... We can spend all our time paying attention to that, making sure that it looks good. We can read the Bible. We can go to church. We can pray. We can tithe. We can put the little Christian fishy sticker on our, on our cars, or we put our church sticker on it, and religiously, man, it looks good. But on the inside, we can still be a mess. We can follow the book that God gave us, we can, our actions can be morally right. And the reality is, is we can still not know the heart of God. 
Right? In another place, Jesus says, your righteousness should surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. When he said that, people's minds would have went, they're the most righteous people on the, in the world. They did all the right things all the, at all the right times. They thought the right things. They believed the right things. They did the right things. They're the most righteous people on the planet. What do we do? Where do we even start? Now, here's the thing. I can't tell you how the whole process works because much of it's mystery. Much of it's just God doing what God does. But here's, here's the good news. Here's what I can tell you. I, I think I know where it starts. It starts with God. It always starts with God, by the way. Always. And I think it starts with our understanding of who God really is. You see, the Pharisees had this... Like, if they had a Facebook page, their relationship with God would say, it's complicated. This is a really interesting, interesting image of who God is. See, in many ways, they thought that, that God was, I don't know, so much angry up there or wherever it is that God is, or if it's more just sort of disgusted, disappointed with how morally corrupt and dirty the people were. Right? Their intentions were good. Right? They, they thought that they could get, if they could just get enough people in the nation of Israel if they could just get enough people following the commands of God, then God would show up and do what we want God to do for us. God would then, if we just get enough people ceremonially clean, then God would restore the kingdom of Israel. God would throw off Roman oppression. And you know that thinking still exists. If America would just get back to its roots, if America would just get morally right, things would be better. Hey, how many Christian leaders have you, have you heard say, oh, that disaster happened because of this thing, or that happened because of that, happened because of this immoral thing? Like, I remember when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, there were Christian leaders who were like, yeah, no wonder, it's New Orleans. You know what goes on in New Orleans. Or when Sandy hit the East Coast, that big superstorm, what was that called? Anyway, Sandy hit the East Coast. They're like, no wonder. Of course. It's the East Coast. You know what's going on over there. Right? So that thinking is exactly the same. Right? If we just get it right, if we just become moral again, then God would bless us. It's the exact same thinking. Right? And I think that's so dangerous for all kinds of reasons. If we, if we view God as an angry God who's just up there waiting for us to mess up, just constant disappointment, just needing to be appeased, then what do we do? We get obsessed with how things look, with things that are on the outside. And then it makes us prideful because we're so good. And then we become people who need obedience from everybody else. And when we don't get it, we get angry and judgmental. Right? We, in a very real sense, become images of the angry, judgmental God that we imagine. We become what we worship. Friends, Jesus didn't come to start another religion. Jesus came to start a, a movement of people, 
a movement of people who are, who are radically changed by the grace and love of God in their lives. Like Jesus' first words were, the kingdom of God is near. God is closer than you ever imagined before. Repent, which means change. We don't like change. The Pharisees didn't like change. But let me tell you, God is all about change. This is good news. I have to change. It's good news. Not just changing our actions to do the more religious-y things so that it looks really good, but a change of the heart, what's on the inside. And you know where the change of heart comes from? It comes from the grace and love and acceptance of God. Just look at how Jesus lived his life, okay? Jesus reveals to us who God is. Jesus reveals to us. He is the image of the unseen God, Paul says. The icon. He, he shows us exactly who God is, right? Look how Jesus lived his life. He didn't require anything from the leper before before he healed him. Didn't require a thing. Didn't require anything from the paralytic after his friends busted through a roof and put him down in front of Jesus. Didn't require anything of the paralytic before he made him whole again. Didn't require anything from the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 long years and who'd been ostracized and pushed aside. Didn't require anything from her before he gave her her life back, gave her a future. He required nothing. He required nothing from the people except for a little boy's sack lunch. There's got to be something fun to talk about there. But that's it, the little bit. He didn't require anything from the people before he fed that 15,000 people. He just gave it. There were no requirements for the people he touched, he healed, he loved, he accepted, he fed with bread. He just gave. It's all grace. It's all gift. They didn't have to look good on the outside. They didn't have to get their life back together. They didn't have to get things all set up. And then God gave them what they wanted. Jesus just gave. It's just grace. You know what happens when we accept that image of God? We get changed. It transforms you. No matter what you've done in the past, God still loves you. Period. End of sentence. No matter what you've done, God still loves you. No matter what kind of evil things you got going on in your life on the inside, no matter what, God accepts you. And no matter how many times you've failed, you matter greatly to God. If we receive and accept that love and grace and that forgiveness of God, we, in a very real sense, we become the image of God we were created to be. We become what we worship. We become loving, gracious, hospitable. Our hearts are transformed. The inside is changed, and the outside, our actions, they become different as, as a result. Like we become people who naturally do what God wants us to do because we've been changed on the inside. That's where it starts. Not just trying to look good. It starts in here. And we do the really hard work of working with God 
to change our hearts, the God who will never leave us, the God who always loves us, the God who will accept us no matter what. It starts there. Let's pray.